Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, and welcome to the Art of Decluttering podcast. I am Kirsty Frugia, and I'm here with my co-host, Amy Ravel. <laughs> I thought maybe you'd forgotten my name then. There's like a, a pregnant well, pause. It's going to like it let you introduce yourself, uh, but then you didn't take it up, so then I, I had to. <laughs> yeah, I let that pregnant pause just sit there. I am Amy Ravella, and I, along with Kirsty, are the owners of the Art of Decluttering, the co-hosts of this podcast, and the friends in your ears. And today we have with us a really special guest. We have Anna from Australian Unity, and she is the National Manager of Estate Planning and when Owen sent us a message saying, I'd love you guys to do an episode about decluttering and estate planning, I knew exactly who to go to. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for being, for letting me be here. I'm so excited to be on your podcast and um, being in all of your listeners' ears as well and talking about everything to do with estate planning. Yes. And I've been on your podcast, Anna, a couple of times. And so it's you know, we might have listeners going, these voices sound familiar. It is true. You may have listened to Anna and I talk and now we get to bring Kirsten on it. Yay! So Anna, lots of people don't think about estate planning until something happens in their life that they are forced to. Their parents die or their grandparents die and they see the heartache that their parents are going through or you know and then we have the opposite end of the scale where some people are, um, can be quite anxious about um, their estate and what's going to happen to their children if they do die and also forgot to mention you are a listener to our podcast so you know Amy and I and not only have you had Amy on your podcast, but you listen to us so you know what you know us very well from listening. <laughs> so we're just going to like hand it over and you can lead the conversation because you know what our listeners will want to hear because you are a listener. <laughs> well, you're giving me a lot of uh, a lot of leeway here. I'm a bit excited that I get to take control of your podcast. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't feel like you do that um, very often because I 
I there's a high level of trust, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am completely blessed. I think that you would think that I um, can actually take control. I'm um, also as given given I've spoken with Amy before. She knows that I can talk quite um, quite a bit about when it comes to estate planning. Um, I am a listener, and I think that the interesting thing for me when it comes to estate planning and decluttering is it just is a bit hand in hand. I think that when I think about the way I talk with clients, it is very similar to the way you talk with your clients because I'm talking about what to do with you know personal um, personal documents, making sure things are set up so that you have things in line, you have things organised, so that if something happens, if you're you lose capacity in your lifetime, or unfortunately when something happens when you pass away, because unfortunately that's not an if, that's a when, Mm -hmm. it's all set up and it means that it will all hopefully run smoothly and you will have decluttered your legal um, and financial affairs so that it can run smoothly for your next of kin, for your family. And um, that's certainly what I try to do and talk through with my clients. Um, Estate planning is so much more than just a will. And um, that's where most people focus. They focus on, I just need to get a will done. But estate planning is a lot more than that. And I know that, Amy, when you came on to my podcast, we talked a lot about, well, what happens from a practical side when someone passes away? And in a will, you talk about some parts of that, but a lot of it you just leave to your family and friends and you have to rely on them to know what to do, which is why you you really need to have something in in place and you need to make sure that you've thought about it and made sure that the the documents that you need are in place before you need them i hope that was a good intro that's really good talk about yeah 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 so for listeners who uh estate planning is this is the first time i've ever heard that phrase do you want to give us like the really simple explain it to my 13 year old explanation of that Yep. Look, estate planning sounds really complicated and a lot of people, as I said, they, they think it's all about a will. So estate planning, though, the way I explain it is it's about putting documents into place that will make sure your wishes and, and your objectives are fulfilled if you lose capacity and when you pass away. So estate planning is putting all of those things into place and it, it's not really just about the documents, even though I've talked a lot about documents already. It's about making sure that your objectives are met because the documents are one thing. We, we, we know we can get a DIY will from the post office and just FYI listeners don't get a DIY will from the post office. Um, that, that's, that, that's only part of the picture when it comes to estate planning. The documents are like the end of the process, like an insurance, um, your insurance, the the policy is important but actually understanding why you have the level of insurance you have is more important it's the same with estate planning you need to make sure that the documents and what you have in the documents meet your objectives because if they don't you might think that you're covered and you're actually not you might actually not be able to achieve what you want to achieve I used to be a financial planner in my previous life and so I know I can speak a little bit about this but I am harking back 13 years <laughs> to any of that knowledge. And I kind of decluttered a lot of that knowledge when I stopped working in that, in that, in your um, sphere of influence. Um, and so 
let's talk, like, give us some examples of some of the, or all of the documents that you're talking about and some of the things that people should be considering, but, and then we'll talk about like how you can um, organize it so that your family can find it really easily. Yeah, absolutely. So the main documents are your will. So your will is the thing that comes into play when you pass away. So in your will, you appoint an executor and you talk about who you would like to benefit from your estate and the way you want them to benefit. So for any people listening who um, might have young children, you might be thinking about making sure they're not going to get that until they're an age that you think is the right age, whatever that is. How many PS5s do your kids actually need? (laughs) (laughs) And And you might want to say, well, look, they can't inherit it anyway until they're 18, so maybe I would have think about, well, 18 is very young. Maybe I'll say they'll inherit when they're 25. Maybe it's 30. Maybe it's 40. Maybe it's a bit older than that. Maybe it's never. Maybe they, they actually shouldn't have control of any of their inheritance and they, they have someone else manage it. So the will gets to put in place the structure that you'd like to benefit your beneficiaries, not just in the way what they actually receive, but how they receive it. So is it in a trust? That sounds complicated. It's actually not that complicated when it's put in place. And I think that financial advisors um, and, you know, people who have trusts already know it's actually a bit more simple than people think. And it's actually really effective to make sure that people get the right access to their inheritance. Because what you don't want is to give someone an inheritance that just is is not there in a few years. They fritter Mm. it away. They don't know how to spend it. And I I think most of us, when we think about when we were 18, receiving a huge lump sum of money, would have probably gone on a car, an overseas holiday, and maybe probably wouldn't have lasted even until a house deposit or or, or buying a house. So having the ability to restrict how much someone accesses their inheritance is certainly a part of what we talk about with clients. That doesn't have to be really restrictive. It can be quite flexible. Um, but all of these things are things you need to think about when you think about your will. So when I, when I joked about don't do a DIY will from the post office, the structure of a will is there. The thing is that it's the advice, every, all these things I'm talking about that go with it that, that probably isn't there. So thinking about who is your executor? Your executor takes control of your estate. They make decisions about um, how you know, assets are dealt with. That they make decisions about even if there's minor beneficiaries or others how they're going to be benefited while they're young. So are they receiving school fees paid for? Are they receiving money for for holidays? What sort of holidays? Those sorts of decisions are made by the executor, um, potentially with guidance from some sort of a letter of wishes, but but that that's sort of the will. So the will is for when you've passed away and it's to talk about how your beneficiaries will benefit from your estate. That's the first most important document. Unfortunately, in Australia, the powers of attorney, which is the next group of documents that's important, are different in every state. So it's really helpful. Um, you know, they, they've done it to make our why job as easy that as a possible. State, why <laughs> is that governed by state and not federal? Well, the wills themselves are actually also state-based, but all the states are basically the same. They're all called right. a will. They have very, very similar legislation and, and similar rules. And the tax rules which I definitely will not go into in this no. podcast, um, but that is federal. So that sort of overarching way that we look at wills, that, that is all, that's the same across Australia. Um, 
powers of attorney are just completely different. The names are different. The roles are different. Mm. The way that we set them up is done differently. In Victoria, where I'm based, we now have basically one power of attorney, but there's two roles within that document. It used to be three powers of attorney. So it's it's even changed in the state. Can you just quickly explain what you mean, what is a power of attorney, just of for those people who haven't ever even heard yes. or they've heard of it but never then, understood what absolutely. people are talking about? And it's something that people will say, um, I'm a power of attorney, so um, my this person's passed away, so I'm doing something. Well, the power of attorney isn't for after you've passed away. It's for during your lifetime. A power of attorney allows you to appoint other people to act on your behalf. So that might be for financial decisions mm-hmm. and legal. It could be for personal decisions, like where you might live, and it could be as well for medical decisions. As I said, each state is slightly different. The way that you can control what your attorney does is slightly different and the documents are slightly different. They're generally all called enduring powers of attorney and that word enduring is really important because the enduring refers to the power of attorney continuing even if you lose capacity. Mm-hmm. So there's other documents called general powers of attorney and those are usually just for very specific things and it's something that listeners probably it's important to look at your documents to make sure if you have powers of attorney that they have that word enduring in them because if they don't, sometimes people get the documents a little bit mixed up and a general one stops if you lose capacity, which is not quite as helpful as an enduring power of attorney as you can imagine. So because there's different documents and different names, I'm going to sort of talk a bit more generally about the roles, but basically there's those three roles. So the different documents, they might be called a financial power of attorney, they might be called just an enduring power of attorney, and then the attorney is called a financial attorney. Um, They might be called something slightly different again. But generally there's one person or a group of people, you can have up to four usually, that you can appoint as your financial attorney. And that person makes financial decisions, legal decisions. They can sign a contract on your behalf when you call a provider to say, I need to know information about this person's um, gas account. It's a financial power of attorney that gives you the power to do that. So so that's sort of the one that most people probably think of when they think of I have a power of attorney in place or I need a power of attorney. They think of those medical, those financial and legal decisions. There's another power of attorney which has very different names in different states. It's called sometimes an appointment of enduring guardian in WA and New South Wales. Um, We call it a personal attorney in Victoria and Queensland. Um, And so the role of a personal attorney or a guardian, and guardian makes it a bit easier maybe to understand because it's very similar to the role of a guardian of a child. So a guardian or a personal attorney can make personal decisions on your behalf, so where you live, who can visit you, whether you can work or not, and that's always a fun one to talk to clients about. If you think about you've lost capacity and someone can make decisions about whether you can work, but it, it comes up. Um, it could be restricting people from seeing you. So the, the most common part there of that person's role is they have to stop people from harassing um, older mm. people or people with an impairment, um, potentially people who are trying to take advantage of them. The personal attorney is the one that gets to say, you can't visit this person anymore because I'm the personal attorney or the guardian. Mm. And so I'm going to restrict access to this person. They're also the person that makes the decision about where someone lives if they 
need aged care. So it's a really important role mm. and often the one, funnily, not the financial is fought about, but the personal attorney is really fought about because that has that control over where someone lives if they lose capacity. I spoke to a person today and it was a brother calling um, and he was the personal attorney mm. for his brother who has a varied, you know, um, lots of different issues going on. And he was calling me and saying, I need to make the decision in the next four weeks about whether my brother can stay in his home or he needs to go into supported living. And he just said, like, the, he, my brother feels like he's able to make that decision, but I have to make that decision and it's a huge burden that he's bearing. Yeah. And, and that is a very common way of thinking about it because it is a burden. If you think about having to make a decision for someone who, who may be unhappy with the decision mm. you're making, who may be fighting you constantly, um, and certainly that's why in you know the business in, in, where, where I work, we can take on the financial role because it can tear families apart. If mm. if you have a sibling, Britney Spears having, is like the best example at the moment. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's exactly exactly yeah. why you need to think about our family actually <laughs> the best people to be in control. If mm. I lose capacity. And thinking about a sibling. So my brother making decisions about whether money's being spent on me or not. And in the Britney Spears one, if money's not spent on Britney, who's it spent on? Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a, you know, vampire in charge of the blood bank situation. You have someone who maybe will benefit from not giving people access to that person or to the money. It's it's actually a lot. um, It's certainly fought over as I said um, it, it's quite tragic when you see the advantages that people take of other people it sounds like Amy your client um, had absolutely the best intentions but 100%. still was was really struggling with making mm. decisions because it is hard and as parents we know it's hard to make decisions for our children when we have them you suddenly think I have to make a decision that will impact someone else imagine that's of an adult that mm. you've probably known your whole life. That that can be really, really difficult emotionally um, and financially because it, often you have to, you know, go do a lot of extra travelling or, or, or meet people, which you do usually gladly, but that can cause tension because I, I've had situations where attorneys have claimed money to go and visit someone and say, well, I had to spend money for petrol and, I, we bought a cake and if I hadn't visited, we probably wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had to buy the cake and so I want the money for my petrol, money for my phone. And it, it, you, you need to think about the person you're appointing as your attorney, how are they going to take the role on? What, what's their approach to dealing with you, um, particularly if you've lost capacity, are vulnerable, um, are, are people going to take advantage and um, we see, unfortunately, in our role as attorney, um, the va- not, not the vast majority of clients, but a huge number have claims against family members for taking their money. Mm. Um, and it, it's heartbreaking. So in Australia, can you appoint businesses such as yours to be a power of attorney? Yeah. Or an, an attorney, yeah. depending on yeah. the name of it. <laughs> so the, actually on that, I usually say the power of attorney is the document 
and the attorney is the person. Now, Mm -hmm. most places just say power of attorney for the person. So I think we all understand what that means. But I, so we can take on that role of attorney. Um, Businesses can, but they are, it's usually only a trustee company. So public trustee, state trustees, Mm -hmm. Australian unity trustees, that sort of a business, not any business. No, not the art of decluttering. (laughs) No, we (laughs) we love you all. People would probably very gladly have you in charge of of certain parts of their lives, I'm sure. But luckily, you have to be. (laughs) Don't do do you have to be given? Do you have to be asked to to be a parent? So yeah, you you have to accept. Well, sorry, you have to be given the option to accept. And um, this look, I. I love presenting on this topic because all sorts of questions like that come up and it's really interesting because if someone does a power of attorney and they accept, the the attorney accepts that appointment and then the person loses capacity, the attorney has to act. They can't back out later. They have to go to guardianship tribunal, so VCAT in Victoria, different names in every state again very helpfully making it as easy as possible for people to navigate this quite complex space. Um, but basically they have to go and actually be taken out of that role and have someone else put in. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I will say to people. If let's say their attorney says, look, I'm happy to do it, but they're, they're a little unsure. And as an attorney, if someone came to me and said, I'm just not sure. I mean, I'm happy to kind of be there, and but I don't know. We're the same age. What if I'm going through lots of things at the time? I said, well, if you accept the appointment, you have to act or you have to be removed, actually Mm. legally removed. So don't accept the appointment and then technically you never accepted it. I'm not saying that's definitely, please don't take that as legal advice. That is very much individual circumstances um, impact on on that sort of an outcome. But you need to look at it because you might not want to accept it. It's a lot of responsibility and, oh. You've actually just reminded me, Anna, that I got asked, I totally forgot about this until you just said it, to um, be an attorney for some people that we knew and we didn't really know them very well but they didn't have a lot of supports um, and we were just starting our family, the kids were little, and we actually declined Mm. because we felt that there was too many variables in our life. My sister had also started having kids and so we felt that there was a natural um responsibility if anything happened to them and my parents were getting older so we said no um and it was a hard thing to say no but yeah I totally forgot about that Mm. there you go flashback and that are you the attorney for your parents Amy no no you are for your parents so I think we've talked about that before haven't we you're a shared Um, attorney I think I've got one attorney one part of the Mm. I don't know yeah, often think, people, there, there might be one child that's like the personal, one that's the financial, yeah. and they sort of look to who has the, the sort oh, of yeah. skills that they feel. Mum and Dad, if you're listening, I will take on the financial, but I don't want the others, please. Claire can have the others. Claire can have the others, <laughs> or they can all have the others. Yeah, everybody else can have the others. <laughs> Anna, we get, we get yeah. heaps and heaps of questions when we're working with clients around their wills and they'll often say to us, oh, there's there's a will in here somewhere when looking at like tubs and tubs of paperwork. And I think, you know, people might be going, well, what does this have to do with decluttering and organising? It has everything to do with organising. And <laughs> it's part of what you do when you're decluttering is 
we really do help people to say these are really important documents. It's not enough to have written a will that got the post office will, so you haven't got a lawyer who's got a copy of it, shove it in the back of your filing cabinet and hope that someone's going to find that when you die. So talk a little bit about the um, the responsibility you have over those documents well, and how it, you know you can organise that as well. I think it's a really interesting point that it's it's like if a tree falls in the forest without anyone there, does it actually fall? Well, if you have a will and no one knows you have it, it's kind of the same as not having a will. People mm. need to know where it is. They need to know um, where to access it. And if if I shouldn't actually laugh, if you pass away and no one finds it and they can't find it because they can't actually locate it within your documents, it will have no effect. They need to know where it is. So it's really, we say to clients, it's really critical to make sure people know where it is. So, okay, if you don't want, let's say you don't go through a lawyer, although I would recommend going through a lawyer, although that sounds very self-serving. As I said, it's more about those sort of meeting objectives and things. But if you go through a lawyer, they will probably hold the original will and powers of attorney. So they'll probably hold the originals. They'll give you a copy. Nowadays, they often email them through too to you as well so Anna, we have clients copy. who don't know who they're like we got a law we got a will done through a lawyer but mm. they can't remember who the lawyer was yep so you know like this <laughs> yeah <laughs> so having been through many estates where people will say I know she did a will this is where she lived we literally have to call every lawyer in that area trying to find it we also have to put ads into um, the law institute journals or in whichever wherever they are um, we can go even further than that and and do other advertisements but we need to try and find it you can't if someone says there's a will we, there's a positive obligation to try and find it we can't just say oh well can't find in the, the documents that they have at home we, we've sort of done everything we can I've had a situation where we had that someone said I know that there's a will I just can't find it and so we did all, we, we did ads, um, we contacted other local solicitors, couldn't find it anywhere. The day before the auction, someone found it in a hole under carpet in like a little burnt out area of the person's floor. And it was, it was there. We'd been able to though, um, you can technically get probate on a copy of a will, but don't rely on that. That's not an easy, cheap or safe way of, of doing the application. But if no one knows where it is, it doesn't matter how safe it is. It, it, it's of it's actually of no benefit really to anyone. So make sure people know where it is. Sometimes people will keep a copy in um, the safe, like a safe custody um, box. I'm not sure how, what what your um, views on safe custody boxes when you ha see clients have them. My experience is they're difficult sometimes to access, and again, people need to actually know that you have it. So Correct. you come back to that problem of if no one actually knows you have it, it's it's really safe, but bits of it's no use. It's too safe. It's mm -hmm. too safe because there's no record that you have a safe custody um, packet anywhere. So yeah. I would recommend people having a copy somewhere really obvious that people would think to look for a will. If you have a filing cabinet, if you don't have a filing cabinet, at least somewhere in some sort of a spot. We often have clients who have, and this I think isn't, and I think that you would say similarly, all your important documents, having them, to, at least a copy of them together, 
but try to have the originals somewhere safer. So often as solicitors, we have titles, birth certificates, marriage certificates. We have everything in someone's packet so that we hold the originals, they have copies, and then with their documents, they have one of our cards. They have a letter from us. Keep something from the lawyer that you had the will drafted at um, with the documents. Often the will will have, and that's why it's, I know it seems like it's advertising, but it's actually to try and find out who has the original. It will say the law firm's details on that. If that law firm has closed, you can contact the Law Institute or Law Society in your state, and they can actually see a record of who took over those firms. Um, so that there is that ability to try and find them. And often the Supreme Courts, or there, there is actually a wills register in some states, but none of these things are completely foolproof. The best thing is to let people, we'll, we'll even give people a lot of copies of our card and say, make sure your attorneys and executors know who we are so that if they can't find that copy in your house, they mm-hmm. at least try and remember the, the law firms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We have a paperwork course um, that I'm sure you know about and lots of our listeners have purchased. And within it, so we do five different categories for filing and one of them is financial And within that, we have a downloadable that has, I've just pulled it up in front of me and it's just like record of services. It's got where you hold your bank account. So we don't want to know like your PIN number. We don't want to know, but you don't want to have to put your PIN number. But where is that um, bank account held? Where do you have term deposits and credit cards and home loan and shares, property, super, and then it has a spot for who's your lawyer, who's your accountant, who's your financial advisor, where do you hold health insurance, where do you hold life insurance, who's the executor of your will? And so it's not about putting personal information on that. It's about putting information that therefore allows them, whoever is your financial power of attorney, to actually take action and not have to go, I don't know if they had shares and how am I going to find that out? And that's a really important part for people who are thinking about their own estate planning to make sure, and that is, the, I think, the perfect way of recording all that information. 
exactly um, as you said, Amy. You don't. You don't. They don't need your pin number. No. You shouldn't give them your don't. pin number. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not they don't need it. Don't write that don't down. Write it down. <laughs> don't write passwords. Um, although that does become difficult with cryptocurrency and um, some other things. So as a lawyer, I would never say. I know it's difficult. You, 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 you can't not give the information because the only way you can access things like cryptocurrency is to have keys and access in that way. But there are really good providers now um, that that can assist with holding things digitally and not giving access unless there's certain requirements met or, or mm. you say to people, this is, this is who can access um, mm-hmm. this digital version. And that's something certainly the clients that I talk with that have cryptocurrency, they do struggle with how are they going to pass on this information I've seen wills where people have actually put in their passwords, um, PIN numbers and things into the will because they thought that would help their executor. I would highly recommend instead doing the course to complete the document that directs people to the assets. That's all that your executor needs to know because after someone passes away from a practical point of view, the executor writes to the organisations they don't need to know more than essentially your bank account details. Even then, do you own, have a bank account in the name of mm-hmm. and a hacker? That's actually all a bank needs to look within their system to then send you the details and work out how to, to deal with that asset. So people just need to have made clear to their executor and I think that this is, this is the sort of thing that I talk with my clients about. You need to have a very... Um, detailed list but not all of that information not the passwords not pin numbers not things like that just so that people know i have an ing account ing i think is that classic where it was generally done online people accessed it and and purchased i remember i applied online there's no record anywhere in my house that i have an ing account um and the only way that someone would know i have it is i don't have it anymore either but <laughs> but the only way would be if I told them that I had it yeah yeah so and to go yeah. or ring every financial institution and say which we do I am the financial yeah, yeah yeah which yeah. is um you can imagine that where someone has been quite reclusive no one is there as a family or a friend assisting them and then they have an independent trustee company appointed that is literally what we have to do we have to contact every single financial institution to try to locate assets and the risk of missing something is pretty high. Um, there are obviously things that we know to do to try and find as much as possible, but I cannot recommend enough that people have everything written down and it, it just makes sense to assist your executor to make sure that their role is able to be performed much more efficiently mm. and also that not, your beneficiaries are not going to miss out. On, yep. on something being claimed. And it doesn't even have to be physically written down necessarily. It can be emailed to the executor when exactly. you've been emailed and said, here's the copy of our will. Well, here's also the copy of the list of all the things that you will need to know when that time comes that we pass away. Mm. And we talk as well a lot about having a letter of wishes that guides your executor, particularly when people have young kids Mm. Uh, they want to provide some guidance as to how they might be um, assisted in life. What, what are your expectations? When I say they have a trust set up and I expect their schooling or clothing or whatever to be paid for, 
am I expecting they're going away every year on a holiday overseas? Or if they have a car, am I expecting that they would buy a brand new car or a secondhand car? You know, I, I've, I've posed that question to people and mostly they say, oh, secondhand car. But I have had clients who said, no, 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 I love cars. I would want them to have a really good car and I want them to have that money spent for that purpose. Yeah, I want them to be safe in mm. their brand new, like yes, in exactly. a car. <laughs> Not a car that's going to break down and yeah. be unsafe. So, you know, those are things that your executor needs to know because, you're not there, unfortunately. You're not there mm-hmm. to be able to help them. And I think that any, any executor that I've seen perform that role without any guidance always has in the back of their mind, am I doing the right thing? Is this mm-hmm. actually what they wanted me to do? There's a lot yeah. of information in a will, but particularly when you're dealing with young children, you know, you, you really need a little bit of extra guidance. I remember talking to my parents about it um, because when I when we were younger, so it must I knew who was the going to be taking over the care of us, mm. um, and one because I was going to I was the carer of all of us as soon as I turned eighteen. Thank God, nothing ever happened. Yeah. I don't know what what they were thinking, but anyway, <laughs> um, my parents did put in their letter of. Um, their letter of intent or whatever, what's the letter right of word? wishes? There's letter of wishes, yeah. yeah. And they had said, We expect the people who are caring for our kids to do certain things, like we, mm. you know, we want them to be taken to church, yeah. Like, so, and until they're, until they're of an age that they can make their own decisions, mm. but and that's, I think it is really important to be thinking about that, like, what do yeah. you want? you know, obviously it doesn't have to be religious or anything like that, but like what is it that you wish for your children? Mm. I watched your, your SAS. Values. Yeah, Absolutely. I watched SAS Australia the other night and they they had to, um, so it's a show about like, pre, you know, a pretending or not pretending, but doing the, the SAS training and one of the things that they got the participants or the contestants participants to do is pretend that they, because this is what they do for, in real life for the SAS um, when they're going to war-torn zones or a place that they, when they're going out where they could be killed, they have to write a letter to their yeah. families. And and so these celebrities did that and I was like, and I was crying it and my son just turns heart, around yeah. and says, what are you crying mum I'm like of course I am like because it it was that like somewhat of those wishes of intent like be good to one another be kind love one another support one another as you grow in life like Mm. what they were saying to their children and I'm like and it made me think of wills and the things that you would want your family to know Hmm. we actually one of my team members um is a a navy um lawyer and he does and or has in the past at least done wills for the the the, the service um, people going overseas and that is also a part of what they do they they write wills for all mm. of um, the active service um, people before they go overseas so yeah. very similar to mm. um, I, I think that that is that is absolutely what they do and and it is something that it, it's it's interesting that people think I think of wills and powers of attorney as something you do when you're really old, when you've retired, you only think about it 
at the end of your life. But the reality is, look, someone going overseas to be an active um, duty is obviously more likely to potentially have something happen than, than in everyday life. But unfortunately, the reality is it could happen at any time. And so right. I think it's important to make sure people put things in place as early as they can mm. and you can update it. You don't have to do it and just ignore it forever. You put it in place for um, it to cover your circumstances right now and then you, you change it as your life changes. But having that sort of ability to think about estate planning, it's emotional. But if you make it a regular, normal part of what you do, you know, you update your financial documents, you update your insurances, update your estate planning. I, mm. I, jo- I, I don't joke, but people think I'm joking. I say it's a great 18th birthday present. That's the earliest you can do a will. I actually think that we should be having people thinking about this because the, the worst fights in estate litigation that I see are young people who have died well before their time and the family that they leave behind are then left with no understanding of how their estate should be distributed, often partners or the family certainly don't think they're partners but people who are claiming to be a partner and the the fights are often around things like superannuation because we haven't even touched on that's a whole other episode Mm. superannuation doesn't necessarily form part of your estate so the other Mm -hmm. thing that's probably important for listeners to understand at least Australian listeners your overseas listeners are probably thinking What's super? Well, it's the thing that you put away for when you retire. It's pension. the money that your pension. It's it's money that you put away um, so that when you retire, you and your dependents have funds to to live on, and um, it's something that people have a lot of wealth in. It's usually where mm-hmm. people, when they pass away, the super and life insurance combined is significant. And this is where you absolutely need to change it if your partnership status changes, if when you get divorced, when you separate, Separate. you need to do that. That's one of the first things you need to do because I (laughs) clearly very passionate about this, not because of my own circumstances, but the stories that I've heard of people who domestic violence situations and their partner receive their ex-partner receives all of the money that their children don't because superannuation trumps the will. Yep, it does. And the trustee of the super fund gets to make a decision. If you don't have a nomination that's binding in place, that's valid, the trustee of the super fund makes a decision. And if you have a partner, look, if it's an ex-partner, Everyone will argue we weren't actually broken up, we were actually together or we were back and forth. Having a break. (laughs) Exactly. And so the idea of um, super is to assist your dependents as well. So if someone can show that they were going to be a dependent or were a dependent of you and would be in the future as well, they are likely to be able to claim that super. And adult children usually do not form part of that dependence category. So technically they are in the category of dependents in superannuation legislation, but a partner would trump that. That's not usually people's intention, though. If they have, let's say, a, a relationship, new relationship and children from their first you know, first relationship or prior relationship, they want to benefit those kids. You need to make sure your super is looked at. It's an absolutely critical part of estate planning and it's something that people often get wrong 
because it is actually more complicated than it seems. And Mm. just because someone can get super doesn't actually mean there's often a tax liability as well. So it's worth making sure that the right people get the right assets and make sure you don't have unnecessary tax paid as well. Again, why it's good to get advice, but if you just look at your superannuation fund, make sure you have the right documents to put a binding death benefit nomination in place. And I say... I'm laughing because I'm like, yes, and I preach it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and a valid binding death benefit nomination. When I was 19, I had my first job. I remember reading those forms really thoroughly and I gave it all to my brother. Now, as a lawyer who specialises in this area of law, that was completely invalid. It didn't matter that I signed it properly, dated it, sent it in, and he was listed on my super um, statements. Did not matter at all. He's not a dependent. Just because someone, and this is this is probably a little controversial for people to even hear, just because someone's listed on your super statement does not mean that they are going to get your super after you pass away because it's only when you pass away that the super fund looks at the circumstances of your life and determines whether that person is actually a dependent. dependent. So if you can claim somebody else's super, not that you can or should, but like if you say, say Amy and I, like I am dependent on her for financial security in some ways, because we're in business together. Mm-hmm. But if she was to give me a donation, <laughs> a donation she's going to give me a gift of a thousand dollars I could claim that I'm actually dependent on Amy and I could claim her super yep but I can claim so, a, like so much that- so be careful who you give money to as well <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, Anna knows way more about this than me but I, th- like- I think we become very cynical as estate planning and litigation yes. lawyers because we see the worst the worst mm. of people and yes. and families, I've said it before already, torn apart. Yeah. And a lot of the times it was preventable. I mean, there was a case recently um, that many people have probably heard of where uh, there was a, um, a, a magistrate who was in a relationship with a law clerk within the court system. And Unfortunately, when that was made public, it was it was it was controversial, obviously. But she moved in with him; they became engaged, and unfortunately, after only four months of living together, she passed away. She had nominated her mother to receive her superannuation. The nomination was not binding. The trustee looked at all the circumstances. It didn't matter that the mother was in need; that she wanted her mother to receive the super, and that the partner or fiance was relatively wealthy <laughs> not in any need of not any superation <laughs> he he was the only person who fitted into the category of dependent and the trustee essentially had no choice but to yes. actually give it all to him there was a way that that could have been avoided it's easy for me to say now with hindsight i appreciate yeah. but that's where advice is critical because if there'd been a will if there'd been a binding death benefit nomination it could have been avoided and that family could have actually had the outcome that she had wanted, that she would probably be quite horrified to think that that happened. But it just, to me, highlights the importance of advice and how super is absolutely where those big fights happen, where there's a lot of money and in those sorts of circumstances where people pass away without having put a binding death benefit nomination in place, it, it just leads to huge problems. 
particularly within families. Listeners, there is so much goodness in today's episode for you. And if you feel a bit overwhelmed by it, that's why there are professionals that you can go and get help from. And lots of people say that Kirsten and I, I never got taught how to adult. And because my brain is my brain, I've been scribbling notes of all these ideas that I have of how we can help our community to learn how to adult because so many people say it to us. But decluttering and getting to the point where you're ready to declutter your paperwork is a really important part of this. So allow us to help you in that. Allow your lawyers and financial advisors to give you advice because we can't give that to you. But it's all part of getting organised and and adulting well. Anna, thank you so much. It's not a problem. I've really enjoyed being here. I hope the listeners have, have learned a lot and I'm always available I shouldn't say that, but feel free to send me questions because I absolutely love talking about estate planning. So thank you. It shows. Your passion shows. So come over to our Facebook page and have a chat um, about estate planning and decluttering and we can't wait to hang out with you again next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. If you've learned something awesome today, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook so others can find our podcast too. Don't forget you can see the show notes in your podcast app or over at our website, artofdecluttering.com.au. So if there's anything you want more info on, check it out there. If you'd like to join our supporter community, you can do so over at patreon.com slash decluttering. We hope you have a great rest of your day and enjoy the freedom. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.